Before we get too far into the sermon and the conversation this morning, I wanted to play another little game like we played a couple weeks ago. This one won't be as hard as Shakespeare and Scripture, I promise. Here's how this works, okay? So be mindful you're in a public setting, okay? Be mindful there are people sitting around close enough they can hear you, okay? But I'm going to throw a picture of a person up on the screen. And whenever you see that person, just tell me what they're known for. Like one of the things that comes to mind... What are they known for when you see their face? So, does this make sense? We'll start off something a little easy, okay? Right here. Iron Man. Iron Man. Anybody else? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr., yeah, but Iron Man, I heard. Anything else? No, just Iron Man at this point? Addiction. What? Addiction. Addiction. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. I didn't think about that, but yeah. All right, how about this one here? What's one of the first things that comes to mind? Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia, Okay. For me, it's just Academy Awards, right? Because, like, you know, every year they're just showing her saying, how many is she going to win this time? Whatever. Even if she's not nominated, I just assume she's going to win something, right? How about this right here? Football. I, although, after this week, the revolutionizer of Monday Night Football. I'm just saying, that was fantastic. If you didn't watch it, you should find some clips on YouTube. Eli and Peyton just sitting there talking as if they were brothers on the couch during the entire game. I could listen to that all day. So... How about this one here? IU. Basketball. Temper. There we go. I was was waiting for it. Chairs. All right. This one I'm going to test you a little bit because I'm going to be mean here. I'm going to see how many of you get this one. It's a little tricky here. That's what I figured. We live in Indiana, so no one knows Pele because he plays soccer. Yeah, this is a soccer player. All right, just checking because I figured that was the case. But, yeah, it's Pele. No, like, renowned as one of the greatest soccer players, right? How about this? Right. Known for? Television. Television, what? Weight loss. Yeah, absolutely. Things that come to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. How about this right here? Karate Kid. Did anybody say Happy Days? Just curious. Okay, whatever. It's Ralph, right? Wax on, wax off, Mr. Miyagi. Now this one's a little trickier. I'd be interested to see what happens here. Baseball. Gambling. There we go. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Right. Here's another fun one that could get real dicey. So just be careful what you yell before you think. Right. <clears throat> <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> High speed chase, yeah. Broncos, yeah. There's lots of things that come to mind. Oh, uh, this one, this one, just this is the picture I had to use for this right here because you know. <laughs> What's uh, Space Jam? <laughs> basketball, not the bat he's holding, right? That's not what he... Actually, he had a pretty good batting average. He had a really good batting average. All right. So, when we look at pictures of people, the first thing we see is what? Their face, which helps us to then recognize them, right? We're talking about identity this morning. What is our identity? What is our purpose? And when we start talking about identity being made in the image of God, which is the verse we're going to look at here in a minute, we think about an image, we think about an identity, we think about the physical features that make someone recognizable, right? We immediately look at those people and we know who they are, 
unless it's Pele and a soccer player, because we just don't watch soccer, right? But in the midst of that, we might recognize their face, and then something else pops into our mind, right? The next thing is, what are they known for? For some of us, those first things that popped in our mind might have been the sport they play or the career they had. For some of us, it might have been the struggle or the addiction or the whatever that they faced. It depends, right, on who it is and what comes up. We think about what they're known for, and we may or may not care that much, right? But then there are also faces that bring about just real emotion in us. For example, I don't care who this individual is, there's a certain emotion you feel when you see that picture, right? Like, how many of you just want to give me the baby? Give me the baby, right? Like, we just want to cuddle, and that uh, we don't even care who this kid is. She's just adorable, and it just brings joy to our heart, yes? Right? Absolutely. And then there's an image like this who brings about a very different feeling, right? That's not a good feeling. It brings about emotion, but it's not the beneficial kind. You'll notice whenever I'm asking you to shout stuff out, I did not put a lot of political figures up there because sometimes it stirs up a lot of emotion in us. Actually, that was a friend who said, I wouldn't put any political figures. I'm like, oh, don't worry. I wasn't gonna. But in the midst of all that, we look at those pictures and there's that process of recognition. Even sometimes if there's not recognition, we just take in a face or something, and it might bring us joy, or it might bring, you know, I I know that sometimes a person, an individual, a character might be polarizing enough that it was just hard to find somebody that everybody would love, but who doesn't love a baby that just looks adorable, right? And we think about what it means to bear an image, to have an identity, to look a certain way, to be known for certain things, and all of that stuff is... It's kind of a factor of how we look at the world, how we see people, how we identify people, how we process and order things in our head. And then we go to look at a passage of Scripture that says we were created in the image of God. And we're going to unpack, like, what image is that? Is that the, the image that makes us recognizable? Is that the image that we're known for? What, is, what does all that look like? What does it actually mean? What did those first readers of Genesis actually know and understand to be true about these words? And I want us to take a look at that this morning, but before we go into God's Word and have a little bit more of a conversation on that, if you would, bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father, I'm thankful for, again, your Word that helps us to unpack and understand what it is you created us to be, how you called us to live and to walk in this world. And so, Father, today I just pray that you would meet with us, that you would speak to us, that our hearts would be full of your presence and that we would know you a little bit better, be challenged to push ourselves a little bit further, to be more like you every day. We love you, and we give this time to you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. All right, so if you were to open up to chapter 2 and look, here's the first thing that would come up. God said, let us make man in our image, Genesis 1.26. I hate to tell you that, that's only part of Genesis 1.26. So the memory task for this week is a little trickier than that. How many of you got last week's memory verse down? You're like, I got this. Okay, so we got some catch-up work to do. All right, cool. Um, but I want to challenge you, encourage you, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That one was pretty straightforward. This one's a little lengthier than this, but still not too complicated because God said, let us make man in our image. Now we say that word image and we think about immediately something visual, that recognition. For us in our culture, if someone has an image, we're often talking about the way they present themselves, the clothes they wear, 
the way they put themselves out there and present themselves, they have a certain image. They are known and recognized a certain way. In the midst of all of this language, however, I want to read this passage in its uh, entirety, and then I want to talk a little bit more about what we understand culturally about some of the words used here. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruits, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. Now you'll notice we talked about this last week, and I understand that. And yes, there's a little bit of overlap. However, it's important in the midst of this to single out this idea that we kind of briefly touched on and mentioned last week, that we were not just created to sit idly by and relax in the garden, that God created us in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Now, that's interesting because right there, male and female, He created them. If we look around this room, Hopefully we know each other well enough to look around at the different faces and recognize enough distinctions and differences between one another that we know that this is not solely talking about made us to look physically like God, right? In fact, you'll notice if we start talking about what God looks like, there are artists and people who have made drawings and renditions of usually someone that more resembles the artistic drawings in the early Roman and Greek world of like Zeus, right? And a lot of our drawings and ideas of what God would look like had more to do with these pictures of what we think Zeus or some other God like that would look like. And there's not a lot of visual imagery that often pops into our mind when we think about who God is or what he looks like more specifically, not who he is, but what God looks like. So we're talking about being created in the image and likeness. It's not like saying, hey, your child looks much, a lot like you, right? Here recently, this past summer, and I've heard this a lot lately in the season we've been walking through, um, been talking to a lot of people, and I keep hearing this, oh, wow, you look a lot like your dad. And I said, yeah, I get that, I do. But earlier this summer, we were at a fair, and uh, I was sitting up in the stands, and somebody I didn't know very well, but obviously knew my family well, said, you have to be Terry's boy, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, yeah. It's like, that, that has to be Terry's boy. And I said, well, you know, as long as you're basing that off of my appearance and not my misbehavior, we're okay. Because my dad was kind of notorious for picking on people and giving people a hard time and teasing. That was one of his absolute love languages. If he wasn't picking on you, he probably just didn't know you well enough to feel comfortable doing so. Um, but in the midst of all that, I said, as long as it's not for my bad behavior, there's a difference between being recognized as someone's child because of your physical appearance and being recognized as their child because of how you act, how you behave, and what you do in this life. And this idea of imagery of what is going on here, this idea of the word image that's being used, is actually this word here. 
say it with me, sell them, okay? Sell them. There, there's this cultural under, you ignore the T, it's sell them. Like I'm going to, I got some, uh, I got some watermelons and I'm going to sell them, okay? Does that help? There you go. So that word there is used in kind of some different places throughout scriptures. It's a Hebrew word, but where it's often recognized and understood in this culture is from a king, okay? Kings ruled over different people groups at this time. In this culture where people lived, there were many kings who ruled over people groups, and they often saw themselves as God's appointed ruler to rule over people. Not just the God we understand, no, whatever God they worshipped, they considered themselves to be an image of God, given rule and authority here. This imagery, this language, was oftentimes tied up in a culture where a king, a ruler, was viewed as the image of God, who had authority to tell people where to go, to manage people, to have a voice to direct and instruct people. And they would oftentimes build statues, images, idols, sell them, of themselves. We see this in the book of Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Nebuchadnezzar builds this massive statue and tells everyone when this music plays, everyone will bow down to the statue. And what's the statue of? Himself. An image of a king that people would bow down and worship because that king has been given authority as an image bearer of God. Now we think about that, and we think about this language. God says specifically to the Hebrew people, the Israelite people of this time, do not create for yourselves false idols. Do not create images, carved idols that are carved to worship. And we look at the context of the fact that this is going on with these cultures with kings and people who have created images and icons and idols to be worshipped, to be lifted up, to be seen as some sort of power and authority here for them to look to. And we look at a passage like Genesis that says, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And not only that, it says, and he gave them dominion over creation to rule, to subdue. The imagery and the understanding and the language that these people would have grasped when they heard these words was that of a king who has been invited to participate in the ruling of creation as an image bearer of God. And there is no need for you to create idols or images or statues of God or to even fully take in any kind of appreciation or understanding of what God may look like or be like or as something to look to because we were already created in His image and likeness to bear that title of rulers who are sharing in the work of having dominion over creation. Now here's the tricky part. We know in chapter 3, which we'll get to a little more soon, that Adam and Eve start to take their own liberties in defining what good is. Their own understanding of the knowledge of good and evil, what is right and wrong, And suddenly there is this changing of position where it's not just us as an image bearer of God to be a representation of who He is, to carry His characteristics into this world and continue to work alongside of God in this process of taming and ruling and have dominion over, but they take for themselves the knowledge of what is right or wrong and say, The serpent tempts them by saying, if you were to just take this fruit, you would gain something that God is keeping from you. I move from the position of image bearer to trying to make myself the idol 
which I live for, the idol which I try to gain something for, the idol that I'm trying to build an image for, right? Those people we put up on the screen are known for certain things. Our culture and our world chase after certain things. We try to go after careers. We try to go after titles. We try to go after trophies and achievements. And many of those people are up there because of trophies and achievements. Maybe they're up there because of failures where they let success get into their head and then made a drastic mistake along the way. Or they let something else rule and take over in their life and they let themselves get in the way. And what they're known for may be great achievements in one area and great failures in another. There may be the innocence of a child that's still not leaned into all this mess and taken a hold of anything for themselves that just brings us joy because it's simple and it's innocent and it's pure. And then there's that one who tried to climb so high that it literally just destroyed anything in his path, anything that didn't match his ideals, and just became such a hated figure that it inspires such horrible thoughts within us. Because that's what happens when humanity chases after images for ourselves. When we are trying to build up and create idols, we are still breaking that commandment that says, do not create for yourself, not create for yourself, accomplishes in our life. And he's trying to redirect us, get us back on the path to restore us and to redeem us so that we are following along in his path and in his way. And therefore, Jesus is stepping onto the scene. He's got all these things revolving around this story. And here in John chapter 3, there's this wonderful little, this wonderful little thing. Oh, hold up, hold up. And they start to have a conversation with him. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him in heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. I love this story for a lot of reasons. John has been this voice calling out in the wilderness. He's been proclaiming this message of Jesus. People have been coming to him, listening to him. A lot of great work is being done as he's baptized people and called them to repentance. There's been this interesting ministry that's going on, but now all of a sudden the people who are following him are saying, wait, that one guy you said was great and you declared and all this stuff happened over there, he's now over here, like he and his disciples are baptizing people. That's not cool. Like, you baptized him, and now he's doing his own thing just over there. And people are going to him instead of you. What's up with that? His disciples are saying, hey, John, people stopped paying attention to you. They're paying more attention to Jesus. What, what's up? What's going on with that? That's not okay. And John reminds them, listen, my purpose, my goal in this world was always to point to him to declare His coming, to declare His goodness, to let other people see how wonderful He was and is and will be. And now He's here, and I shouldn't be sad that He's now here. I should rejoice at the fact that He's here. And He must increase, but I must decrease. My status, 
the, the, credi- the credentials and the credit that I've built up that people have given me as they chose to listen to me and follow me must continue to become less so that people will pay attention to him more. Because you see, in this moment, John understands the true calling and identity of who he is. He is not there to build a name for himself. He is there to direct other people back to Jesus. We talked about this on Wednesday night this week. We were having this conversation about how sometimes it's hard to invite people to church. It's hard to get people interested and wanting to be a part of the church. And, and to be honest, if we look back through the church's history, there are a lot of reasons people are skeptical about the church. There's a lot of horrible things throughout the history of Christianity, the, the culture and history of who we've been. Like for thousands and thousands of years, there have been these horrible moments where we just kind of stepped in it and did not represent the image of God well. There have been lots of moments with crusades. There have been lots of moments where just we, we executed our own people who were trying to translate the Bible into common language so people could read it because we said, no, that should be for the priests or for the preachers or the people who are in authority and in charge to do only and can't give the Word of God into the hands of common people. And those people were executed for that sort of thing. And people hear those kind of stories, and they hear the kinds of stories now where people are treating other people poorly and just making a mess of situations. And, and, and people like we've talked about in the last couple of weeks who identify as pastors or preachers or teachers who are preaching things very contrary to the gospel. And the culture and the world, whether it's fair or not, has reason to be skeptical. And so when we come as salesmen to the door offering such a great religion, such a great experience, you should trust me, you should come to my church, what goes through people's mind is an image sometimes that's not always good. Maybe it was just a pastor that treated them poorly when they were a kid. Maybe it was someone who yelled at them because, (laughs) side note, I was working at a church one time and we were having youth group games and we were doing stuff one night and students were there who from our community who really were not churched kids. They just were kids from the neighborhood who were coming in to hang out with us and spend time with us. We were building great relationships with them. And one night we were playing a game and one of the middle school guys made a poor choice and he climbed up in a drop ceiling to try to hide. And he got found and then he fell through the drop ceiling and onto a table, onto his head. Immediately some people who were helping that night, came into the room and started yelling at said kid about the drop ceiling. I'm not saying that kid walked away from church, but in that moment, I recognized and understood why someone might. Because this kid, I'm trying to check on to make sure he doesn't have a broken neck or a concussion or something that might, it was a poor choice. We all know this in the moment. But being yelled at because I tore up a $1.50 panel in the ceiling versus, are you okay? doesn't always present the best image, right? And in the midst of that, I can understand why some people are hesitant. And we say, why are we trying so hard to invite people into something that they may not believe in or may have real reservations about because of the images that have been portrayed when our real duty and job is to carry the image of God with us, to represent the image of what Jesus represented, to decrease in a way where people aren't seeing Nick and his accomplishments, where they're not seeing you and your accomplishments, but they are seeing love, patience, grace, goodness, forgiveness, sacrifice, all the things that Jesus embodied, and saying, I love who they are. Why are they the way they are? And when at the end of the day, the answer is Jesus. This is who I believe he is. This is how he's transformed my life. This is who he's called me to be. Then they have an opportunity to fall in love with the original image bearer. 
the one whose image we were created into. And we're not trying to sell anything. We are simply being the church where other people are. We are being a representation of who God is, and people are allowed to see the goodness of who He is versus the goodness of who I try to present myself to be, which is usually a broken definition based off my own understanding. I don't know if you all looked outside at all this week. It was beautiful out there. Did you look at the sky at all and see this big, beautiful moon that was just bright and colorful and just looked amazing several different nights this week? Elliot, can you drop the lights down for just a second? I want you to see this picture for a minute. And you think about this big, giant ball of dust. This big, giant ball of dust that floats around the earth. And we look up at the night sky and think about how beautiful it is. But if we take away the simple fact that the sun is shining on it, this turns into a pile of gray dust. But because the light of the sun shines on it and the earth doesn't block the, the, the sun's light and all the light can hit it like this, we see every little crater, we see every little bump, we see all these splotches of color. It's not really color, it's still white, but it just looks amazing. The reality is, is it's just a big ball of dust. But do you remember the story last week? God pulled the dust together and formed it and breathed his life into it. And suddenly, the dust is now an image bearer of God. It's not the moon itself that is beautiful. The moon is beautiful because it reflects the light of the sun. Do you get that? Like God put this huge reminder for us in the sky every night. You are not wonderful because of just you. You are wonderful because I made you. Should you see yourself as wonderful? Yes, you were created in the image of God. Should you tear yourself down constantly? No. You can go ahead and bring the lights back up, El. Should you tear yourself down constantly because we fail and we fall short? No, because God knows we are a work in progress. He wouldn't have sent His Son to redeem us if we were a lost cause. And when we diminish and disparage and tear each other or ourselves down and say, I'm just not good enough, I don't measure up, God's wasting his time on me. We are kind of spitting in his face and saying, yeah, your effort's really kind of pointless and worthless and useless. And all the while he's saying, no, I created you to bear my image and I am giving you every opportunity. I'm giving you every bit of truth and life and every bit of opportunity to reflect that back and be this beautiful and amazing creation that I have created and made and made good. If we would simply worry less about making a name for ourselves, worry less about who's following us, worry less about how people see us and perceive us, and worry more about saying, am I reflecting the light of who he is? There's this beautiful truth that I love so much. We kind of mentioned it Wednesday, but I just wanted to bring it up here with you all. When God breathes life into man, this Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach, R-A-U-C-H. I know it doesn't make sense, but R-U-A-R, a couple of vowels and C-H. Ruach, okay? And in the midst of this word, life is being breathed in. Breath is the ruach. But that word also does not just mean breath, it means spirit. And when God breathes ruach into us, He's not just simply giving us life and breath and the ability to move. He is giving us his spirit, 
his presence, and he is giving us his image to bear. He is offering us this gift. That's why when Jesus says, I am going away to prepare a place, I'm going back to the side of the Father, but I'm giving you a helper, the Spirit, the Ruah, to stay plugged into that streams of living water, that same imagery that brings life out of chaos. I am giving you this helper as your breath, as your life, as the Spirit for you to walk in so that you can continue to rule the way you were intended to rule in the beginning. Not through your own understanding, but through the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit, through the wisdom and understanding of God, by being image bearers of God, to carry His light into the world, to be truth and life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we have the opportunity to reflect that image, to be those image bearers, because we have His life, His breath, His Spirit at work in us. And when we walk out the doors to carry that spirit, to carry that truth, to carry that life, we remember what the Word says. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so the reality is when we ask people, what's the first thing you think of when you think of me? I know none of us would ask that question because it's terrifying. But if we did, and someone would say, man, you're just so loving, you would give anything for me, you're so kind, you care about me, I know you're always there for me even though I've messed up and failed time and time again, isn't that why we love God so much? Because despite us being a complete mess, while we were still sinners and a complete train wreck, He loved us so much He sent His Son to die for us so that we might be redeemed. And meanwhile, we have been called to bear that same image, to care about the people around us in a sacrificial way that says, no matter how much of a broken mess you are, I am here for you, I love you, I care for you, I want to offer you hope that goes beyond what we get caught up with here. Because if I'm just worried about my well-being, I'm just worried about this, and I'm worried about my status and my name and all these other things, I'm missing it. I must increase or mine must decrease and he must increase, right? I need to be the one reflecting him. And we can't put this pressure on ourselves that say, oh, I messed up this week and I've been a terrible image bearer and I'm a complete waste of time again because we were created in his image and likeness. We are his children. He loves us. He knows it's a learning process that will continue throughout our lives and that there's not going to come some magical point on day, you know, 3,472 where we just magically figure it out right? It is supposed to be a process of continued growth throughout our entire life, which is why he said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Die a little bit more to yourself every day and follow me. Because your goal, your identity, your purpose was to bear my image so that more people would come to know me, not because you gave the best sales pitch, not because you had the coolest church to invite them to, Not because magically someone was just sitting there waiting for someone to show up and offer them an invitation, which sometimes might be true, but the reality is is that the real work we're doing is is going back out into the world, being salt and light in a way that reflects God's image, reflects His love, reflects who He was and who He is and who He will always be through our lives in such a way where people go, you are worth following. 
And then we can say, no, I'm just the image of someone who's worth following. And I mess that up a lot. But that's okay. There's grace for those who mess this up. But we still follow and we still press on and we still try to get better every day at just being a little bit more like him. You should come along with me. Because my life has never been better than when I reflected the love of my father. We were created to be image bearers. And through that image, through that life, through that sacrifice, through that love, through the picture of who he was, the world would continue to be restored and redeemed because we were given the task to continue to have dominion, to rule over, to subdue. We messed that up, but through Jesus, through his spirit, through his breath of life in us, we have opportunity to continue pressing on to continue to do that work, continue to join with him in the effort to build a kingdom that will last for eternity. And it's not about being the best at it. It's not about knowing more than anybody else. It's simply about surrendering and saying, I want to be a little more like you today. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And as a question of reflection, as a question of prayer and just time of going to him, I just want you to simply, honestly ask him and yourself this question. Let the Spirit speak in the midst of this question that you're kind of asking yourself. If I'm being honest, what do people know me for? If people see me and think about me, what are the first things that come to their mind? And just wrestle with that honestly for a second. And then in the same way, I just encourage you to humbly go before him and say, God, I I don't want to beat myself up for the ways I failed. And I don't want to think of myself too highly than I ought to in the ways I've succeeded. Father, give me the humility to truly pursue you and become more like you. Father, I love you. And I am so thankful that you said that we were worthy of being created in your image and your likeness. Not because of anything we've done, but just because of how good you are. And I thank you that you said that we were worthy of being given up, like so much being given up on our behalf for you and yours, for you to love us so much that you would send your one and only son to come into this world, to set an example for us, to die for us, to lay down life and sacrifice for us and so forth. I just thank you and give you praise that I know it's not because of anything we've done or how good we are that you still say we're worthy. And so, Father, in the midst of this moment, I just simply pray that you would help us to wrestle as we continue to sing, as we continue to worship, as we enter into a time of communion, as we respond in these ways. I pray that you would keep speaking in our hearts and help us through the course of these next few moments wrestle with and truly lean into a conversation with you to say, God, what do I need to do to take the next step forward in becoming more like you, to reflect your image, to be who you've called me to be? Because this is one of the most important things. Father, one of your followers made the statement long ago, A.W. Tozer, that, that what we think of you is one of the most important things about us. 
And Father, I pray that you would help us to realize how that's true, that our perspective of who you are and our understanding of who you are matters. But I also pray that you would help us to prioritize what people think about you when they see our image and the image we've put forth is such an important thing about how we live our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would help that to shape us, help us to move forward in that and continue to grow in that way, that we would prioritize that and make it such an important thing in terms of who we are. Give us the strength to be exactly who you want us to be. It's in the precious name of Jesus I pray. Amen.